episode 82. This is the Business Generals Podcast. We chat with amazing entrepreneurs every single week to help you maximize your startup business ideas, take control of your personal finances, and get the most out of your professional career. Subscribe to the show and check out businessgenerals.com for full show notes, free tools, and killer resources to help you on your journey to maximizing your business dreams. And now, your host, Davis Mutabwa. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs every single week. If you have not already done so, remember to click subscribe on your podcast player so that you do not miss an episode. It's Davis Mutabwa here, your host once again, and I'm super, super excited to bring you our feature guest, Mr. Mike, Mike Kalowitz. Mike, welcome to the Business Generals Podcast. Oh, it's a joy, Davis, to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Mike is the entrepreneur behind actually three multi-million dollar companies and he's the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan and the classic, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Love that name. (laughs) Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and uh, regularly travels um, the globe as an entrepreneurial advocate. I've actually seen some of his television programs. So he's uh, been around and uh, knows what he's talking about. So we're really excited to have you here, Mike. You can check out Mike at MikeMikeKalowitz.com. That's M-I-K-E-M-I-C-H-A-L-O-W-I-C-Z.com. So if you didn't write that down, you're probably going to struggle, but um, it's a beautiful name. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. Um just kick us off by telling us who's Mike um, outside of business. Yeah, so outside of business, uh, a, a father married to a wonderful woman and uh, has three wonderful children. Besides that, I'm, I'm pretty much all business all the time. I have the good the good fortune as a uh, author to now travel the globe, speaking and meeting with entrepreneurs. And I too am an entrepreneur. I'm not just an author. I've I've owned and built and sold a few businesses. And uh, today I uh, I'm an equity owner in three companies. Yeah. Loving my life. Loving my life. Nice. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. Mike, how long would you say you've been in business for yourself full-time? So uh, as an entrepreneur, I've been in business uh, since right out of college. When, when I graduated school, I graduated university, I was hoping to get uh, a dream job and I, I got something short of that. At least for me, it wasn't, wasn't what I was targeting to do. And basically through a bet, admittedly a drunken bet, I decided to pursue entrepreneurship. I, I thought I could do better, a better job than my boss was. I, I thought I could uh, own my own business and, and make more money that way and quickly realized how wrong I was. Um, not, not that you can't make more money, not that you can't have the life and the freedom that you want, but I wasn't prepared to go into business. Like I thought it'd be so easy to start a business and you're in business and kind of learn by, trial by fire of, of how challenging it is to grow a company. Mm. But did fall in love with it. Did fall in love with it, and ultimately, I'm living at least my definition of a dream. I'm I'm really loving what I do and enjoy it thoroughly. So that's about twenty years or thirty years or twenty years. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm forty. Uh, I'm forty six. Started my first business when I was twenty three. So yeah, twenty three years now of, of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Good work. And um, Mike, what would you say are your core revenue streams today? I know that might have evolved, but what are they do today? Yeah, today it's multiple facets, mm-hmm. uh, but all with a kind of a common theme. It's interesting. I, I believe in diversity, but I 
believe that we need to also be niche specialized, which almost sounds contradictive. But for me, what it is, is I picked a community and then find multiple ways to generate revenue. So for me, book sales are a significant way to generate uh, revenue for me. Speaking, also another great revenue source. I, I've been blessed to to travel now the globe for speaking. Corporate sponsors, another one. And it's something I never expected, but as my books grew and grew in popularity and so did my speaking, mm-hmm. corporations stepped up and said, hey, we want to get involved in this. We want access to the communities that you're speaking to. So that became a big part of it. And then I also own a business that certifies certain types of businesses, accountants and and bookkeepers in particular, around my books. So uh, Profit First being my most popular, we certify accountants and bookkeepers in this process. So I have a small business here. We're eight employees, but we manage 250, 260 clients actively in that. Mm-hmm. And then also, I mean, when, you know, when enough's not enough, I'm also a owner in a small manufacturing business and I'm an owner in a augmented reality business. So those things are, are more passive and I'm, I'm kind of just observing from afar the business where we certify accountants and bookkeepers and profit first. I'm actively involved. And of course, my speaking in books, I, I do that full time. Right. So your bio says you've done three multi-million dollar businesses. Um, I'm sure you've done um, a bunch more in terms of the, on the smaller range of that. But maybe if you, if you walk us through some of those core businesses that have led you to where you are today, how did that first one kick off and what was the idea behind it? I, um, my first company, I started after working for a guy, uh, it was a computer store and I saw the guy in the back room kind of sitting there counting money, you know, smoking cigars. And I, I said, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be the guy working the floor. <laughs> I want to be the guy collecting money, you know? And so I decided that day I'm going to start my own business. I started one the next day right. and I realized he wasn't counting money. That was money he owed to other people. He was trying to figure <laughs> out, you know, how he's going to pay people the stress that he was under. The, the guy wasn't a smoker. He was smoking cigars just to, to reduce the stress. Right. And um, I started a business and, it was trial by fire. I had to learn to sell, to collect, to deliver services, um, to manage people. It was an unbelievable trial by fire. And it took me many years, but after about eight years, we had achieved about $2 million in revenue. I had a business partner. We had multiple employees, I think 10 or 15 employees, mm-hmm. and I sold it to private equity. During the process, while it was never profitable per se, right. I fell in love with entrepreneurship. I loved the freedom, the control, all the things we could do. So then I started my next company. After that, uh, I got into a computer crime investigation. And that business, right place, right time, we got the Enron trial as one of the projects we got. Right. The business, yeah, exploded. We weren't the only provider of services in the Enron trial, but we were a major player in that, at least major for us. And that put my business on the map. And it caught the attention of a Fortune 500 who ultimately acquired us. So just kind of, you know, it had the experience of just falling in love with uh, entrepreneurship. And it took a couple of iterations. The second one was much better than the first. And when fully into now is the third iteration is the best. I just love the work I do. It's total joy for me. It's very profitable. I've finally figured out the formula for business success. And what, what I've defined it is, is this the right size business can find us. So you know, we don't have an obligation to be a massive business size-wise. We can just keep on chugging along until we say, yeah, this is it for me. And uh, I'm not there yet. This business definitely can grow substantially more, but it just feels good and right right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second it doesn't feel right, that's the time I got to go somewhere else. You said you get books, you get corporate sponsorships. 
and then you've got the accounting piece with profit first. What is the core service offering around that? I'm assuming that's the main business you're talking about now. So the main offering of Profit First is we certify accountants and bookkeepers in the Profit First methodology. So these are accountants and bookkeepers who are looking to distinguish themselves in the market because accounting and bookkeeping, both of those have become so commoditized. Software can do the work they do. It's steeped in competition. So certain accountants and bookkeepers are realizing, hey, I got to differentiate myself in the market. Mm -hmm. And we think the biggest opportunity is to be a profit consultant or a profit advisor. That's what our members call themselves. And they join us. We teach them how to do profit consulting. We give them our proprietary tools. We, we develop the profit first system. And, and as far as we know, it, it is the most sought after system for profitability now. And so our members use it to distinguish themselves in the market and to deliver a service that you know, a lot of entrepreneurs need. Mm-hmm. Okay. My background is accounting, so and I've done quite a, uh, oh, not, awesome. not a lot of bookkeeping, but I've done a little bit of bookkeeping. But so I do understand that you've got all these softwares like um, QuickBooks or Zero or you know Myob, which which can do a lot of the work for that space, and which which is probably similar to other service based entrepreneurs like you know web builders, etc. So, what are those things that you think um, have helped some of those clients that um, you can sort of talk to us a, bit, a little bit about here right off the bat? So what's interesting is, and, and I think this is a kind of a takeaway for all entrepreneurs, is once you become a commoditized business, what that means is to the consumer's perspective, you aren't any different than anyone else. So if, if you're an accountant and that's a commoditized industry, that means the prospects are saying, oh, an accountant's just an accountant. They're all the same. And then when you're seen as all the same, the challenge you face is you have to find a way to compete on price because if everything's the same, then the only differentiator is the cheap guy. Whoever's the cheapest is the one I'll go with mm. because the service is the same. So what accountants historically have done say, well, well, I'm not the same. Let me tell you how I'm different. I have better credentials. I have better this, better that. And that worked. But now with the sophistication of software, it's impossible to compete against saying, well, listen, I have all these credentials, but the software doesn't need credentials. The software just gets it right out of the park every single time. And when you're competing in software, it, it's the race downhill to the lowest price point. So the members that we've helped, we said, let, you know, if the computers are taking this space over, don't try to fight it. Instead, find a new blue ocean, a new niche, a new opportunity for yourself. And so our members say, listen, I, I'm not an accountant. I'm a profit advisor who happens to have extraordinary accounting skills, but you should expect that from anybody, including the software. What makes me unique is my ability to take those numbers, interpolate it into how to drive profit in your business and actually achieve sustained permanent profitability. Very good. And let's talk a little bit about the business model behind Profit First. How did that idea come about? Yeah. So Profit First, what we do in this system is we flip the formula. What I mean by that is traditional accounting has told us that profit comes last. And we use terms like it's the bottom line, mm -hmm. it's the year end. But the formula is real simple. You, you, you take your sales, you then subtract out your expenses and what's left over is profit. What I argue is that there's a fundamental problem with that formula. While logically it makes sense, you have to have sales, whatever expenses you incur does not profit. You have to subtract those out and what's left over is profit. It makes sense logically. The problem is it puts us at a major behavioral disadvantage. You see, it's human nature when something comes last, we are deprioritizing. We're saying it's insignificant. It's like if you got sick and you say, yeah, I'm going to put my health last. 
Of course you wouldn't say that because it means your health isn't important. You say, no, I'm going to put my health first. So what comes first gets priority and gets addressed. What comes last can get delayed and ignored, often into perpetuity. So what we're saying with profit first is never, never put your profit last. Instead, immediately take your profit because it is the priority. How it works in the formula is now it's sales minus profit equals expenses. Taking your profit first. Mm-hmm. How it works in practicality is that every time you have a sale in your business, immediately take a predetermined percentage as profit. So it could be 5% or 15 or 21 or whatever the number is you pick. You take that percentage of profit, you allocate it, and now the leftover remaining amount is we have to run your business off of. You're basically reverse engineering profitability. Mm. So if you pick, I want to be 21% profitable, sure, take it. I love that idea. Um, it's it's very counterintuitive for an accounting um, yeah. mindset. So you're saying, you know, get your, get your sales first, subtract the profit, and then what you're left is what you've got to work with. Now, if you're in the physical product industry, that might be a bit more challenging, but I get the point. You can work around that and work out, can I get a cheaper supplier? Can I get a cheaper, you know, warehousing or freighting costs um, or increase my sales number so that I can hit that 15% or 20% profit line? So, so it does make your, your mind work, work a little bit faster. And from a personal accounting perspective or a personal finance perspective, it's, it's similar to the concept of paying yeah. yourself first. So whatever money you get, you subtract what you're going to pay yourself. And then the rest of it is what you start to use to pay your bills or to pay your, for whatever it is that you mean. And paying yourself first could be your savings or, or whatever it is that you're investing for. So, so definitely a great concept. Um, how did you acquire your first paying customer in the profit first business? Yeah. So it's interesting when, when something new comes out, I think, uh, the propensity I've had in the past is to say how, how great I am and the great things we have and the great vision. And I've changed my mentality about that. I think it's important to share the the vision the business has and the impact we want to have, but also share the reality is we're brand new. So when it came to Profit First Professionals, that's our organization that rolls out Profit First. We made the big announcement and said, hey, mm-hmm. listen, we, we have this grand vision. We think we can eradicate entrepreneurial poverty together. Uh, this is what we're trying to do, and we have a way to do it. But, and then we, we kind of gave the disclaimer. So we, whoever joins us today, it's going to be our first customer. We, we are so clueless about this. We know there's going to be bumps and bruises. It's not going to be an easy path. And if you're willing to join us, it's because you see the greater vision. And what we're willing to do mm. is while we'll ultimately have costs of a certain amount, we're going to reduce that significantly now uh, to you, our fees. We're going to reduce significantly in recognition of the risk you're taking on. And we said also when you join us, you will be effectively our board of advisors, our initial customer base, our founding fathers. And we're going to come to you asking questions of how do we improve things? How do we fix things? And that kind of inoculation, if you will, for new customers has been wildly impactful. Customers come to us and said, yeah, you didn't get it right, but we didn't expect you to. And they were okay with it. And they mm-hmm. gave us feedback. Customers appreciated the, mm-hmm. the fact that they were getting a better deal than new customers. And then they got the deal for life. So customers that came on right away, as long as they want to be customers, they get the reduced price. And are we losing money on them individually? Yeah, but they've been our best customers because they've directed us on where we want to go. And there's also an affinity. They're, they they feel like, and they realize they're the founding fathers and mothers of our organization. Um, and so they're, they're kind of put on a pedestal. So that's how we got started. We were able to bring on a lot of clients very quickly because of our absolute candor that we weren't perfect. And uh, that's how we, we proceed now in in all cases. And what was your marketing strategy at the beginning and how does it look like now? 
So the marketing strategy in the beginning was uh, go to people that already had an awareness of who we were. You know, I think when we start a business or build a business, we always have to use the advantages that we have. I was in a unique position with this business that I already had a constituency, a following of readers of my other books. I'd, I'd launched Profit First by now. So when I made the announcement, I went out to my current readers and said, listen, I don't know what business you're in necessarily, but I'm looking for accountants and bookkeepers. If that's who you are, uh, I got something I'm, I got going on and would love to tell you about it if you're interested. So I went to my existing list of customers and carved out the small community, which was maybe like 3% of my list, but carved out a small community and then started speaking to them. In my past businesses, I found that if I don't have a community, I have to go to where the community is already established. Mm-hmm. So I identify, say I was going after uh, ice cream shops, you know, businesses that sell ice cream. What I would do for that business then is I say, well, where do ice cream shops congregate? What, what conferences are these ice cream owners going to? Where are they, you know, what podcasts are they listening to? And I would put myself there. So if I don't already have a community to speak with, then I seek out a community that's already established and try to speak with them there at their community. Great. I love that. I want to digress for a second. You did a reality TV show. Um, I think you've done more than one. I think you've done the Donny Deutsch one big business or yeah, yeah, the big, big idea, idea rather. And then you did your um, the bailout, which I had I watched one oh, or cool. two episodes of, I think. Um, I want you to, to just jump into a little bit of that experience and, and maybe grab a story that will be great for our listeners who are in the startup community or maybe trying to scale from a startup position. And uh, maybe walk us through an example that has resonated with you all, after all these years that, that um, you know, was a surprise situation of how the business was, was operating or how they might have a great idea, but oh, poor yeah. execution or great execution, but bad idea. So give us one example. Yeah, I did quite a bit of TV for a period of time and really enjoyed it. You know, from my perspective, the, the power there is it's a great platform for getting the word out. On, on stuff. It gets out to people. It entertains, it educates. It's wonderful. And I think there's some amazing programs out there. One, one of my favorites right now is called The Profit. This guy, Marcus Leon, Lemonis, is doing it. I think it's a wonderful service to entrepreneurs. At the same time, those shows, the ones I was on, mm. uh, the one like The Profit is also a disservice because it also forms an idea in entrepreneurs' heads. That's how businesses run and grow. So I think people that watch The Profit or watch the shows like Bailout, I did Bailout. You know, I was going into businesses that were on the brink of being shut down and I had 24 hours to save them. And it's a wonderful story. But, you know, <laughs> I get I was getting into 12 businesses over a year. An episode would be a series would be 12 episodes. There's 128 million businesses in the world that need that. But there's only 12 a year. So it's a, it's a figment of imagination mm-hmm. to assume some guy's going to come in, swooping in and save your business. So it's wonderful because it gives exposure to the need. It's what I don't like about it is people start thinking, well, that's the only way to save my business. The reality for entrepreneurs is you got to save yourself. Marcus Lemonis is not going to come into your business. Mm. I'm not going to come into your business and save it. Um, but uh, one of the great lessons I have discovered, and I see this consistently, as I was doing those episodes of Bailout, as I was on Donnie Deutsch's The Big Idea, I did some work uh, for another show called It's Your Business on MSNBC. Every business that struggled, inevitably, as the revenues increased for the business, the owner also increased spending at the same rate. So when they were a half million dollar Mm. business, they were spending a half million dollars. When they were a million dollar business, they're spending a million. When they finally made that dream of finally at two million, I'm going to be profitable. No, they were spending two million. They had 10 million, they're spending 10 million. Regardless of what size revenue they had, they always found a way to increase their expenses at the exact same rate became more stressful. 
likelihood of them losing money and uh, getting burned out was only increasing. So what I found in the solution, and we already discussed it, is take your profit first. Hide it away from yourself so you can't steal it from yourself, and you'll find your, a way to run your business effectively and efficiently that way. Okay, great. Mike, what was your biggest breakthrough moment in your, let's talk about the profit business, or you can pick one of the businesses that has helped you get to where you are now profitably, but was there a biggest, a big breakthrough moment or was it always compounding? I think it's always compounding, but in retrospect, then I say, oh, I've learned a new lesson. My, my biggest lesson now, mm. uh, and I'm actually I'm writing a book around this, but experiencing it is the more I'm here at my business, the more I'm hurting my business. Meaning I thought that my business needed me. They had to be here. Mm. But now I've discovered is when I'm out of my business, my business, my colleagues, my, my employees, they have to find a way to make the business work without me. And then it becomes independent of me. I've been blessed for this because with my speaking, I, I've been blessed with the popularity of my speaking. It pulls me out of the office constantly. I, I just got back from uh, traveling through Latin America, uh, Central America specifically. And next week, I'm back off to South America, and then I'm off to Europe, and then I'm going to be traveling through the U.S. speaking again. Every time I leave the office, uh, my employees have to figure out how to do it on their own. And so now, when I'm at the office, rarely do I even get interrupted because they don't need me anymore. So I think the big epiphany is, actually, a business mentor of mine said this once. He goes, sometimes the only way out of the weeds is to get out of the weeds. Like, Sometimes to make the business run independently, just become independent of your business. It's not nearly as hard as we think. Just get out and the business will have to find a way to run itself. Very interesting. You've talked about mentorship. Um, how much do you invest in mentors and, and how has that helped your business along the way? Yeah, mentorship, I, I invest a lot in it. And uh, what I mean by that is not necessarily financially. I mean, I do financially have coaches I work with, but I invest time with it. Mm. I, I'm in a peer-to-peer group. Those are my closest mentors. I meet with them every month and uh, meeting with them costs nothing, but I meet with them every single month and we sit down for half a day and we work on each other's businesses. I also find I've mentors in different categories. I, you know, I know some guys that are great fathers and I want to be a great father. I hang out with these guys and they just, you know, they teach me by me observing them. So I believe in mentors in a massive way. I think the most or the biggest investment I make in that is the effort and time. Uh, it doesn't have to be a big financial investment. What about um, some of your your books and your courses and things that you're putting out in the marketplace? Um, what are some of the best places for people to, to start when they're thinking about getting into their own business uh, space or growing a business idea that they've been um, sort of hatching along the, the last little while? You know, I, I used to say, oh, if you're a brand new entrepreneur, read the toilet paper entrepreneur, that's one of my books that targets early stage entrepreneurs. Or, you know, if, uh, if you're an established entrepreneur, read The Pumpkin Plan to grow faster. I've changed my tune a little bit. I, I don't know if my books are the right solution or the wrong solution for someone. I'm very proud of my books and I think they have a big impact on people, but you have to have the right problem. You see, if you're profitable right now and your business is cruising financially, to read profit first may be entertaining, but it's not going to have much impact. So what I tell entrepreneurs is, mm-hmm. what is the biggest challenge you face right now? You know, I, I'm struggling to uh, grow organically. Well, then the pumpkin plan is great. I, I'm struggling to catch market momentum. I wrote another book called Surge. That's perfect for that. Uh, I'm looking to hire great people. I haven't written a book on that yet. There's other great books out there. Top Grading is a very popular book on how to hire and recruit A-based a talent. There's another book uh, called Hire the Best by Dr. Starling. Phenomenal book on recruiting great people. So I ask entrepreneurs, 
figure out what your biggest challenge is and then seek out that book that answers that challenge. That is how you're going to get the most impact from a book. Very good. Talking about your books, um, the, the Pumpkin Plan, Profit First, what do you speak on the most these days on your speaking tour or what has been your biggest speech that has been reacted to the most? Yeah. So Profit First is the most desired right now. So two years ago, Pumpkin Plan all the time. Now Profit First, I, I speak on it constantly. I think two years from now, my new book, Clockwork, Business Efficiency, I think that's going to be the most popular. Um, but we'll see. My cumulative most popular book is actually a TEDx speech I did. If you type in the world's best TEDx speech, that's the search phrase. You'll actually find it. And um, mm-hmm. it's not the world's best TEDx speech, by the way. That's just what Google's it. <laughs> but that speech, I think, for me, has a couple hundred thousand downloads. And um, that, I think, as a singular one-time speech was the one that had the biggest outreach. What does TEDx do for a speaker? Do you know? Uh, do you think- I think it puts you on the map in a new kind of credible way. I, I think it forces you, the speaker, to prepare in a new way how to sh- to share something very impactful in a very short and compressed time. I don't think it's life-changing like it used to be. Uh, Simon Sinek has a very famous mm. TEDx speech. I wouldn't say necessarily it's because it's the best TEDx speech of all time. It's a great TEDx speech. I think he timed it perfectly. He he did one of the best TEDx speeches up to that point in time, and it became wildly popular when TEDx was still kind of and TED was still taking off. I think today there's countless phenomenal speeches, stuff that's a thousand times better than I've ever done. I would even argue better, and I think I would feel the same way better than some stuff that he's done. But it's such a saturated market now. I don't think it has a big of an impact. So I think uh, TEDx today in regards to impacting speakers isn't what it used to be five, 10 years ago. Interesting. I've, I've asked a few people about that because I've interviewed um, one or two TEDx oh. organizers and um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good concept here. Um, Mike, what are the best two books that you have read that you feel are great reads for entrepreneurs, if any? Yeah, I think there's many. I mean, if you want to get started, E-Myth is such a great book, just in telling you how to work on a business instead of in a business. I think it's a necessary book. Uh, Think and Grow Rich would mm. be my second. Just it's the mindset of entrepreneurship and of wealth in general. You read those two books, I think you have a good foundation. Mm. Sure, sure. We've heard that quite a, quite a bit on the show, so, so it's really in tune with what most people have said. I just want to acknowledge you for everything that you're doing in the marketplace um, for creating an, uh, an organization. I'm actually not even sure whether you're an accounting, an accountant by profession. No, no, I'm not. Right? And I also want to thank you for coming here on our show and for spending time out of your day and, um, and bringing out all those words of wisdom. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Mike Michalowicz um, here on the show. Thanks for hanging out with me and Mike. I hope you had as much fun as I did. And more importantly, I hope you got your hopes up that you are good enough to chase your dreams whatever that might be. And remember, if you enjoyed that episode, do leave us a review on iTunes and I'll be sure to give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. Head on over to businessgenerals.com forward slash Mike M. That's businessgenerals.com forward slash Mike M for all the show notes and everything that we have talked about here today. Mike, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. We're absolutely grateful. You are a true business general. Thank you for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with us at businessgenerals.com and grab the full show notes 
and access a ton of free resources. Subscribe to the Business Generals podcast so that you do not miss an episode. And help us reach more people by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. We look forward to your company on our next episode. Until then, remember that you are a true business general. The Business Generals Podcast, helping you maximize your startup business ideas, take control of your personal finances, and get the most out of your professional career.